0: Good evening, good to be back with you this evening. Get out your Bibles if you want to follow along and turn to the book of Jonah. We're going to be wrapping up our study of the book of Jonah tonight. Uh, quick book, right? I mean, that, that didn't take long at all. With books like Acts and uh, Matthew and even Galatians and Ephesians, those books kind of took a lot longer than Jonah. Jonah's, Jonah's been pretty quick. Uh, but we're going to be wrapping that up tonight, and I'm looking forward to our study together Uh, If you've not been here for the Jonah series, or or kind of got a lot of background for the book of Jonah, uh, you probably know that story, at least, of Jonah being commanded to go to Nineveh and to preach to them, and he says no. I'm not going to Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh is in Assyria. It's a place where there's a lot of very evil people. And the enemies of the Israelites are in Assyria who will one day take Israel into captivity. Now, Jonah doesn't know that. uh, But he knows they're really bad people. And they've, they've caused a lot of problems for his nation. So he doesn't want anything to do with going up there. On the one hand, he might be mistreated or abused or hurt or tortured in some way. On the other hand, he didn't want to be a part of causing them to repent and change, and that's not something he's interested in. Uh, So he he tries to get away from God, uh, getting on a ship headed to Tarshish, which is way on the other side of the world at that time, uh, away from Nineveh. And God goes after him with a storm, and he ends up getting thrown overboard, eaten by a big fish, spins up whole three days inside the belly of a fish, uh, and, and finally he comes out and he's ready to, to obey God's command. Go to Nineveh. Uh, he says, okay, I'm going to go this time. <laughs> a lot better than the alternative of being at the bottom of the sea. He's ready to obey God. But whenever he goes there, we studied last time and saw that uh, he has tremendous success. He, he's one of the most successful preachers of all time, yet he hates it. Uh, He didn't try to be successful. His message was, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, and that's it. (laughs) He doesn't care anything about saving those in Nineveh, yet the message settled into the minds of those in Nineveh and made them want to repent. Some way, somehow, they heard that horrible, you know, sermon, just statement, and they thought, you're right. We've been horrible sinners. We've done things we should not have been doing. Their consciences were pricked and they knew they were guilty and that they would be destroyed. So they turn away from their sin and repent from the greatest to the least. The king even makes a command for the whole uh, city to put on sackcloth and sit in ashes because of the evil that they've done and to stop doing all the evil that they've been doing. And they're, they're wicked, horrible, evil people. So... Uh, there's a lot of wickedness and evil that would have to be stopped. And uh, as, as we read, we get the impression they stopped. There was a complete turning away from their wickedness that they knew they were doing and they should not be doing. And at the end of chapter 3, we read uh, maybe what Jonah doesn't know, but what he probably thinks would happen. Verse 10 it says when God saw what they did how they turned from their evil way God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it And as we're reading this story we we see the big turn in those in Nineveh and we think wow How amazing is that? And God decides to save them. God is so gracious and merciful to these people because they were willing to change everything. God was willing to stop the judgment that He had against them. He was going to destroy them for how evil they had been. And God's done that in the past. He's destroyed wicked nations. Really, all of the land of Canaan that Israel is living in was destroyed because of the wickedness of the people. The sin of the Amorites was complete. That's what we read. Uh, He has destroyed Egypt because of their evil and that they had done. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of the evil that they had done. And there weren't even ten righteous people found in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. So God completely destroyed them. He can destroy, but we see here He doesn't want to destroy. And as we're reading this... It should get us excited to think, wow, how wonderful and gracious God is, how merciful he is that he's willing to forgive such wicked, evil people who have turned away from their wickedness and and come back to him and and striving to do good. That reassures us and encourages us, doesn't it? But as we read this, we need to be sure that we have the right perspective. It's kind of easy since we're so detached from Nineveh and the things that they've done, the evils that they've done against mankind, we might say, or against Israel, that we'd just be really excited for them to repent and for them to be saved from judgment. Because Jonah hears about this, or he knows that that's going to happen, and he's not too happy about this. There's a problem that Jonah has with them repenting and God forgiving. Let's read all of chapter 4 together, and then we're going to talk about the latter half tonight. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in a shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So as we read through this story, we see that Jonah is not too happy about Nineveh repenting and God forgiving. As we read this, we understand what's going on in the mind and the heart of Jonah Jonah sees Nineveh as this horrible, evil, wicked place that does not deserve God's grace. It's as though Jonah is uh, Poland or somewhere uh, that that the the Germans attacked uh, and, and took all the Jews out and put them in the concentration camps. And now Jonah is being told to go into Berlin and to tell everybody to repent, even though they've killed Hundreds of thousands of Jews, Jonah himself being a Jew, he goes, he tells them, and they repent. And they say, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. And then God allows them to be victorious in everything that they do and go on living victoriously. Jonah would be upset. And maybe you would be upset if you were a Jew whose family had been taken off and, and murdered and tortured in certain ways. So as we read this story, it's easy for us to be, kind of be disconnected from it, but that is very real to what Jonah is going through. The wickedness and the evil of the Assyrians, it would seem, deserves some kind of judgment and destruction. And so as we read this and we understand a little bit more maybe of how Jonah is dealing with all this, hopefully we can come to terms with this. He, is, he has this vengeful attitude and this malice inside of him because... These people are so wicked. It seems obvious to him that they deserve destruction. They deserve to be tortured and killed like they had tortured and killed. And so he's really, really upset about this. And we too might be very upset about this. Have you ever had somebody who uh, was really evil and wicked towards you, that really took advantage of you or did harmful things against you or someone you love? Maybe you've been fortunate enough to live your whole life not experiencing someone who is that wicked and evil. I hope and I pray you have experienced a life free from that kind of suffering. But if you've experienced it, then maybe you know all about that kind of malice. That desire inside of you for someone else to suffer pain because of the great evil that they've done against you. Jonah struggles to understand how God could be gracious to the most wicked of nations. But God wants to teach Jonah something. And if you're struggling with that, like maybe I do sometimes, maybe we can learn the lesson that Jonah is being taught here. God sends Jonah a plant. plant springs up as he decides not to go home. (laughs) Interesting. Jonah says, oh, they repented. I know what's going to happen next. I know, God, you are so compassionate, so merciful, you're going to end up forgiving them. I don't think he knows chapter 3, verse 10. I don't think that was stated to him, that God would relent of his disaster. But as soon as he saw them repent, he said, oh, no, this is what I thought was going to happen. I thought they were going to repent, and you were going to forgive them. And that's the last thing that I would want for you to do. So he goes outside the city, he sets up his tent, and he waits stubbornly to see what God would do, to see if God would give a judgment against these evil, evil people or not. And while he's there, it's interesting God sets him up nice as he's rebelling against him and and stubbornly, you know, waiting to see what what God's going to do. God sends him a a tree to shade him as he's out there waiting to see what would happen. That's fascinating, isn't it? Why would God give him a tree? Jonah probably was supposed to go back to Israel and prophesy there. His job was done in in Assyria, in Nineveh. Why is he still hanging out? And Him hanging out there apparently was not, you know, something that really made God upset. He gave him a shade tree. He's sitting under the shade. He's relaxed. Life is good. I just got to sit back and wait. It says, he was exceedingly glad. His discomfort was removed from him. It was a beautiful day. For judgment to happen against Nineveh, just all I gotta do is wait here, man. This is gonna be great. I got a front seat show to hellfire and brimstone coming down upon this city. This is gonna be wonderful. But, but God has something in store for Jonah. Just like before, whenever God comes after Jonah as he's a runaway prophet, God comes after Jonah again. He gives him this plant to give him a mountain peak, you know, to give him the high of his life. Like, this is wonderful. What a a wonderful day this is. It seems like everything's going to go right. God loves me. He's blessed me. He's giving me this comfort and relaxation. But God knows that the next day he's going to destroy the plant. He only gives him the blessing so that he can get up on that high so that the valley will feel even lower. God lets Jonah go through tremendous suffering as a result of losing the plant. Now, we might think, well, so what? You know, you lose your shade. But not only does he lose his shade by God appointing the worm and destroying his tree, but also he sends a strong wind and he sends heat. And the wind would make it hard for the tent to stay up. So Jonah essentially is out there exposed in the heat of the day. And he's sitting there, it seems like, dying of thirst. Like, just struggling to to stay there where he's probably not supposed to be. And God is trying to give Jonah a lesson. He's trying to explain to Jonah something very important that is wrong with him. Notice it it ended in verse 4 with the first encounter of God saying... Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah didn't say anything. Jonah doesn't respond to that question. And God doesn't say anything else to him. It just is kind of left hanging there. Do you do well to be angry? Okay, you're not going to answer me. That's fine. How about this? We're going to give you a plan. It's going to be a beautiful shade and you're going to have a great day. And I'm going to take it away. Then I'm going to ask you, if you do well, to be angry about the plant. And that's exactly what he does. And now he's going to teach him a lesson. Well, what is the lesson? What, is, what does this mean? What is the value of this plant? Well, if you look throughout the Old Testament, you learn... That a plant or a tree often is used to represent a nation. In, in books like Ezekiel, you have pictures of Assyria being a plant, a, a, a tree. You have pictures of Egypt being a tree. Uh, in the book of Daniel, you have Babylon being this beautiful tree. And, and all the birds make their nests in it and it provides shade and shelter for all the animals of the field. And trees are commonly depicted in that way. So it could be that he's he's got a little bit of a reference to that to help him understand the value of a nation, that a nation is for the good of the people, it's a blessing to the people. Or perhaps it's really just trying to teach Jonah about how God is providing grace to Jonah by giving him a tree. He's providing him what he needs to have comfortable and easy life. He can provide that in a single day. But he can also take it away in a single day. And that stubborn and rebellious attitude of Jonah is going to result in the loss of the blessing that he's enjoyed since rebelling against him before and returning so he can lose it again. Maybe that's what it's about. Maybe that's the lesson that is being taught in this plan. But as you really read through what's in the rest of this text, you see really what God is trying to get at. He's trying to explain to Jonah how he feels God wants Jonah to understand how he feels. As this nation is, is on the verge of destruction, he wants Jonah to see how that nation's falling would be a tragedy. Notice again in verse 9, God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plan? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I always find that funny. Uh, that Jonah would respond in that way. Not funny because I'm pointing and laughing at Jonah, but because, man, that sounds like something I would say, right? You're so angry that you're willing to spout out at God. And he did did a good job controlling himself the first time he was asked that question. But I bet he was just sitting there dwelling on that question like I do sometimes thinking, oh, if God asked me that again, I'm going to tell him. (laughs) I do well to be angry. I have every right to be angry. This is not right. Uh, So he lets God have it. You know, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And then the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. You see how God is trying to train Jonah in this case. He's trying to explain to him that his, his, his perception of things is just off. He doesn't have the perception of God. He doesn't have the, the 100,000 foot view of life and death and, and cities and nations and all the things that go on and the value of nations and the value of human souls. Here is Jonah upset about the destruction or the death of a plant. And yet he has no concern whatsoever about over 120,000 people being destroyed just doesn't matter to him no big deal he just doesn't care he's trying to help Jonah understand that he needs to have the same kind of desire and heart that God has a desire for souls who are lost to be saved to be to be in the right relationship to be righteous That's the goal that God has, and that's the goal that God wants Jonah to see and to understand. He desires mercy. He desires grace. He desires not for the evil to be destroyed, but for them to turn from their evil ways and live. And Jonah can't see that. He's asked the question, do you do well to be angry? Yes. I do well. (laughs) No, you don't. He has this mindset inside of himself that maybe we have sometimes. That God should always bless or punish the bad and bless the good. Always. God should punish the bad, he should destroy the bad, and he should bless the good. That's his mindset as he's saying these things. And he doesn't do well to have that mindset. Because what's wrong with that is he doesn't know who's really bad and who's really good. As he's sitting there arguing against God, wanting people to die, he's not doing better than the Ninevites who are sorry about what they've done and they've turned from their evil ways. He's not doing any better. He's as much worthy of destruction as they were. And I love how God points out He knows what's in the minds and the hearts of these Assyrians. They're ignorant. They have no clue about the laws of God, about what's right or wrong. They've got a conscience. But everything in their world, everything in their society has pointed them to this evil being good. And and good being evil. And everything is twisted and contorted in their minds And God sees that, and he knows that, and he sees that now they've got the right perspective and they're turning to do the right things to start listening to their conscience, to start following the paths that God would want them to do, and he wants to show them mercy. But as he does that, he exposes Jonah's malice. That Jonah is, in this case, more wicked than the Ninevites because he won't let go of his prejudice, and his grudges against those of Assyria. What do we learn from all of this? Well, obviously, Jonah does not do well to have malice toward ignorant people. He doesn't do well to have malice toward ignorant people. That's not a great thing. (laughs) We don't commend Jonah for that. Wow, you did such a great job hating those Assyrians and wishing that they would die. You know, that's not a a good thing. And we see on the opposite end of the spectrum that God is one who has pity and wants to have grace on those who are ignorant. And he expects his people to follow suit. He expects his people to do the same things, to have pity on those who are ignorant. As we look out at the world around us and we see horrible enemies come up against us and, and do evil things against us, we have to have a recognition that these people are ignorant. Of what is true and right and good. And there is a horrible judgment that's to come for them. If they persist in that. But God doesn't want that for them. He wants them to turn from their wickedness. And to do good. And if God wants that then we have to want that. God called for his people in Exodus 19 to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The whole kingdom of Israel is supposed to be priests that go out and teach the message of God's word to everybody so that they understand what's good and what's evil. They have failed in that mission, and that's why the Assyrians are as wicked as they are. It's not all... Assyrians' fault. It's Israel's fault for failing to teach them and to show them what is good and right and true. And so they have no right to stand there and judge and harshly criticize a wicked nation that they were responsible for teaching. They should have went to them and taught them the truth while they were in the height of their power. They had every opportunity, but they failed to do that. So as we study this text, we learn of our own shortcomings in some ways, and the reason why the world around us is so dark and twisted the way it is. It has something to do with us and our attitude toward those who are around us who are evil. So we try to apply this to ourselves, we have to recognize it's very easy to put away mercy after we've received it. Jonah had received tremendous mercy He was at the the bottom of the ocean, the bottom of the sea. And in a stubborn, rebellious, defiant state, he calls out for God to save him, and God shows him tremendous mercy. And that's us. In the depth of, of the evil of the world, God has called out and he has provided us salvation that we don't deserve. That mercy was given to us. It's given to us over and over and over again. And Jonah forgot about that mercy whenever it came to someone else who was wicked. And he wanted them harshly judged and destroyed, forgetting all about the fact that he deserved that kind of judgment and destruction. Do you struggle to be compassionate and merciful and loving toward those who are ignorant who are evil and wicked, who don't understand anything about the ways of God, they're darkened in their understanding, they're alienated from the life of God? Do you struggle to be compassionate toward them? And and even worse, do you tend to be angry with them because of their evil? Maybe they've got different political views than you, and because of that, they follow after some teachings and some beliefs that are, uh, in your eyes, equivalent to murdering the innocent. Do you hate them for it? Do you wish they would die and suffer eternal judgment for that? No, we can't have that kind of attitude towards somebody who is wicked or evil, uh, even if it's against us, even if it's someone who is physically harmed us or someone we know or acted out against us, God doesn't have that desire to destroy us. Even when we've hurt his son, he sits on the cross and says, forgive them, they know not what they do. So Jonah is this wonderful message to teach us we don't do well to be angry, even with the most wicked people who are around us. Judgment is without mercy on those who show no mercy. God has saved us to be different from the world around us. He saved us to be compassionate and merciful and to shine a light for them to see the true glory of God. Even as they're doing evil against us, we're called to be good, to honor them, to respect them, and to to help them understand how wonderful God really is. That's who we're called to be. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people for God's own possession, to help everyone to see and understand the ways of Christ by living it out. Jesus was not one to respond in anger and harsh judgment as he was being mistreated. But he was one who was willing to suffer and to die that others might be saved. I love 1 Peter chapter 2. I'd like to turn there uh, tonight, 1 Peter chapter 2, we kind of close off this series to make sure this is a text that we all remember and understand. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll start in verse 21, let's start in 20. It says, well, what for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, You see, we are called to follow in his footsteps. And so that means that injustice is going to go on all around us. And injustice is going to go on against us. And not to say that we're not supposed to stand for any kind of ju- justice or just you know, let them do whatever they want to do all the time. Obviously, we have rights to speak and to help other people understand what the truth is and to stand up for those who, who are around us but we don't have a right to hate them. And we don't desire for them to suffer a judgment for the evil that they've done. We want them to turn from their evil and to be set free from that. That's what Jesus has done for us. We deserve much worse punishment than what we will be given because of the wonderful grace that God has shown to us. And we're called to extend that even to our enemies And love our enemies. And that is the lesson that we see repeated over and over again in this book of Jonah. And it's a lesson that we need to hear over and over again to get it ingrained in our minds and in our hearts that we're called to love those who, in some ways, are unlovable because of their ignorance, because of the prince of the power of the air twisting everything, turning the world upside down so that they don't understand what's right and what's left, what's good and what's bad. But that's who we're called to be. I love also 1 Corinthians 13, which tells us without love, we accomplish nothing. No matter how much good we do in our life, if we're not willing to love those who are around us, then all of our good works are empty and void. God calls us to be more than what the world around us is. And that's a high, high calling, but it's one that's worth our effort because of what Jesus has done for us. I hope that this has helped you in the study of Jonah. It certainly helped me. I love this book and really have enjoyed thinking about the messages that are found in this book. And so I hope this has helped you. If you're here tonight and you have not uh, submitted your life to Christ, you see that submitting your life to Christ is not easy. Uh, But you see that you are wicked and deserving of forgiveness, and he's willing to give it to you for free because of the sacrifice of Jesus if you'll submit your life to Him, that sacrifice can be yours. You can be forgiven of all of your sins. You can put on Christ, be be, uh, allowed into the kingdom of God and called a son or a daughter of God and given every spiritual blessing. Not because you deserve it, not because you've lived a perfect life and you've done more good things than bad things, but simply because you put your faith and trust in God and you're willing to do what He calls you to do. He will give you exactly what He tells you He'll give you. The blessings of eternal life and relationship with Him forever can be yours today. If you're willing to make that sacrifice and give yourself uh, to Him, then you can experience those blessings. If there's anything we can do to help you in that, will you please let us know? Please come as we stand.